Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This talk wraps up our four-week teaching series, Unsmall, where we look at the lives of four key people. We look at the things they did with their lives and how they devoted themselves to God. The funny thing is, even though some things we do might seem insignificant and very small, what we discover is that actually they can have huge eternal impact on our lives and the lives of others. So join us this week as we look at the life of Abraham's servant. And it's good to see Brad in a Philly shirt, isn't it? Can we thank him for doing that? Yeah. All right, in your program, you also have a little sheet that says Love Week on it. I want you to take that out right now. Because we have a love week that is coming to Valley Point Church, and I am so excited about this. And I want to take just a few moments to walk you through what this is going to look like. Because it's a fun thing for us. It's also a way where we get the chance to move outside the walls of this church and do something of significance. You know, our strategy here at Valley Point is to point people to real relationships that inspire real significance. And one of the ways we can effectively do that is by being involved in a love week. And so I'm not going to take time to read through everything on this sheet. But love week begins on Monday, April the 16th. And there's all kinds of different events that you can check out and see if it fits your time schedule and your passion. And after the service today and next Sunday and the Sunday after that, you're going to have the opportunity to sign up for these different things. Today, you'll be able to do that in the cafeteria. So on your way out, if you take an immediate left, there'll be people who will direct you there, and you can put your name down. And I want to encourage you to do this because it's going to be a fantastic week for us. Even if you can't make some of these different events, there's opportunities for you. We are able to take donations, and you can read about that under community needs, and there's a way for you to give to that. There's also a lot of food that is needed as we're going to be feeding fire departments and we're going to be feeding two different schools and their staff as a way just to say thank you to them. And so a lot of food is needed and you'll be able to sign up for that all in the cafeteria starting today. We're really excited about this Love Week because we're going into a new area that we've never really served before in this capacity. We're going to be serving the communities of Marcus Hook and Linwood, and we're very excited just to let them know that we are a church who exists for them. And we want to go and serve and love and not expect anything in return. So it's going to be a lot of fun, and I want to encourage you to think about this, pray about it, and then walk down to the cafeteria and begin the process of signing up. If you've never done a Love Week before, I want to encourage you to do this because you'll get the chance to meet people here at Valley Point. And you'll also get the chance to have some significance as you go and serve and love. If you have done a love week before, then it's time to do it again. And you know how much fun and how impacting this can be in your own life and in the lives of others. So again, today, walk down to the cafeteria and begin the process of signing up for this. You know, our love weeks are beginning to define who we are as a faith community. And I know when I get the chance to talk to people and tell them about what I do and how I'm a pastor and they ask, what church is that? And I say, Valley Point Church. It's not unusual for them to say, oh, you're the church who does stuff. 
I'm like, yeah, we do. We love doing that. And this is another opportunity for us to do stuff, good stuff, and to go and to serve and to love. So you check out these different events. You got a couple of weeks to sign up and think about what God wants you to do to effectively serve the communities around us. We want them to know that we're here to serve them without expecting anything in return. And I know this is going to be a wonderful week in the life of our church. It's going to help us to live an unsmall kind of life, a life filled with impact and influence. And today we wrap up this series called Unsmall. I want you to check this out. It's the last week of Unsmall, and I want to thank you for being a part of this series. I hope that you have been able to walk away encouraged that the small things we do and the choices we make can make a big difference. I also hope you've had a good time thinking about some people in Scripture that allowed their choices to be directed by God. Small choices directed by God lead to big impact. So today, we're going to talk about the unsmall life of a guy who goes nameless. His name isn't the most important part of him. It's what he does. And what he does gives him a huge life. In our short description of this guy, here's what we discover. He prayed. He spent time with God and it changed him. It also gave him a big life. The scripture that we're going to look at today has something to say to us that should drive us to God. So let's wrap up Unsmall in a big way. For the past four weeks, we have been thinking about some Old Testament characters that really aren't that popular. They don't have the big name when it comes to the big name kind of thing. They're just regular people, but they're important people who did some incredible things and lived an unsmall kind of life, a life that just had a lot of influence and a lot of impact. The very first week of this series, we talked about a guy named Hezekiah. And the trait that gave him an unsmall kind of life is that he wasn't afraid to create a culture of worship in his personal life. It's where it started for him on the inside. And then that kind of spilled over into his public life and it changed his country. After that, we talked about Abigail. And the trait that gave Abigail an unsmall kind of life is that she wasn't afraid to challenge others and help them get back on the right path. And she really took an individual and challenged him, and his whole life turned around as a result of her willingness just to step up and say, you can't do that. Stop. I want to challenge you and help you get back on the right path. Last week, we talked about Mordecai. And the trait that gave Mordecai an unsmall kind of life, is that he wasn't afraid to do the next right thing in his life. Even though that next right thing was pretty challenging and pretty difficult for him, he stood up and he wasn't afraid to take that step. I want to ask why. I mean, why live an unsmall kind of life? Maybe this doesn't really matter for us. Maybe this is just for a bunch of people way back in the day. Is it really for us? Why chase this? Well, I think there's 
a couple of reasons because here's what it does for us. When I chase an unsmall kind of life, it makes me totally available to God. Not kind of available, not mostly available, but when I choose obedience over convenience, and when I choose to live a life that has influence and impact, and I do that in an unsmall kind of way, it makes me totally available to God, and God smiles at me, and he's so happy about that. Secondly, I see more. I mean, when I choose this life, I just see more stuff. And I see it through God's eyes. I'm not blinded by my own vision. I'm kind of opened up to a whole new world that God shows me when I choose to live this way. And then others see me as someone who is touched by God. On small. And this is the way that God wants us to live. And it's totally possible. I mean, that's the good news. This isn't just for other people. It's for me. God wants me to live this way. So today we're going to talk about the unsmall life of Abraham's oldest servant. The guy who was in charge of his entire household. We know Abraham. He's kind of got the big name. And he's a patriarch. He's an important figure in the Old Testament scriptures. But then there's this guy that we really don't know that much about. He's Abraham's servant, and he's kind of incredible. Here's what we know about this servant, just a few things. First of all, he's extremely humble. I mean, just extremely humble. How do we know this? Well, the paragraph that we're going to unpack today is found in Genesis chapter 24. And in that paragraph, he doesn't really have a name. So talk about on small, right? He doesn't even have a name. What's really fascinating about this is that he does have a name. And in Genesis chapter 15, we find him called Eliezer. And he's kind of Abraham's second-hand man. He's got a lot to do, a lot of responsibilities, overseeing all of Abraham's wealth. He's an important individual, and he's got a name in Genesis chapter 15. But when we come to Genesis chapter 24, there is no name. He's kind of a nameless individual. And what's really fascinating about this is we never find him complaining. Not at all. It's not like he says, all right, time out here. I have a name. And when it comes time to write the Bible, I want to be sure that my name is in every chapter that I mention and that they get it right. It's Eliezer, E-L-I. This just never happens. He never says this. He's an extremely humble individual. Check out Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Abraham was now a very old man, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. One day, Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household. It's just a nameless, humble kind of guy doing work. Well, here's what else we know about this extremely humble individual, and that is he's trusted. Verse 3, swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, this is Abraham speaking here to his servant, swear to me that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son, Isaac. He's trusted enough to be given 
a pretty big job here. I know this seems kind of strange that he's going out to find a wife for somebody else, but that's kind of how they rolled back in the day. He's given an important job. His master, the one that he works for, the one that he serves, came to him and said, look, I'm a very old man and I probably can't make this trip, but I trust you and you're a humble individual and I want you to go and you find a wife for my son. This is an extremely important job. Here's what else we know about Abraham's servant. He's got some doubts. He really does. He's a humble guy and he's trusted, but he has some doubts along the way. Like, Abraham, are you sure this is a good idea? Like, you really want me to go and find a wife for your son? This is an important thing. And I know you're Abraham and you're great and you're amazing and you've done some incredible things, but I'm not so sure about this deal here. Abraham, and this is where we begin to see some of his doubts. Verse 5, the servant asked, but what if I can't find a young woman who is willing to travel so far from her home? It's not like he's just going down to the mall to find some girl. This involved work and travel. And so he says, should I then take Isaac, your son, the one that you love, Take him away from you and go there to live among your relatives in the land that you came from? See, here's the question that I think we all have to wrestle with. What do you do when you begin to think in your mind that God might not come through for you this time? Like you want to believe that God is big? And maybe you've even observed some of that in the past and you've experienced that. But is he going to be big enough this time? And you want to believe that he's full of kindness and he's full of love and he's compassionate, but is he going to be kind and loving and compassionate this time with what I need and with what I'm walking through? And while it doesn't come right out and say it in Genesis chapter 4, I believe these are some of the things that Abraham's servant was beginning to struggle with. He just had a lot of doubts. What's interesting is that there is no doubt that Abraham's servant had seen God do incredible things in the life of his master. And he had a front row seat to watch God do the amazing. Genesis chapter 12. God came to Abraham and said, you know what? Here's the deal for you, Abraham. I want you to leave your country and your family, the place that you know and the place that you love and what you're familiar with, and I want you just to leave all of that behind and you begin to wander. And I'll show you the way. And it'll be our little surprise, kind of a secret destination here. Now, to me, that sounds kind of crazy. I don't know if that's a good deal to leave everything that he knew and that he loved and what was familiar to him and just start wandering and God would show you the way. And you know what God did? And God provided a wonderful place for Abraham and his family to live. And there's no doubt that Abraham's servant saw all of that. In Genesis chapter 21, Abraham's son Isaac is born, the golden child and he was born to Abraham and his wife in, when they were very, very old. And it really didn't seem like that was something that God would work out. But God provided. 
and gave him the promised son. And Abraham's servant got to see all of that. He saw God provide again and again and again. He saw God answer again and again and again. He saw God move just again and again and again. But this is a pretty big task here. Will God come through this time? I mean, Abraham, maybe this just isn't a great idea. And when that happens for you, what do you do? Because it's almost a crisis of belief. I mean, I know God has done things, but will he do it again? Will he provide again for me? And I believe Abraham's servant was really struggling with this. In the middle of all this, here's what the servant did. He just stepped toward God and he started to pray. I mean, he just started having conversations with God. And I think that sounds crazy. Like, isn't there something more that he should be doing to kind of overcome this crisis of belief? Isn't there something more that he should do to know that God is really going to come through this time? And he simply stepped toward God and he began to pray. And here's the trait that gave Abraham's servant an unsmall kind of life. He wasn't afraid to pray. He wasn't. Even though all of this stuff is happening around him and even though he has these doubts and he wonders if God can come through again, He steps toward God and he begins to have these conversations. He wasn't afraid to pray. So here's our big idea for today. Confidently pray to a big God. Confidently pray to a big God who can do everything and anything. Now, here's what we discover from Abraham's servant's prayer. After he's given this important task to go and find a son, he begins to have this conversation with God, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But there's three unique parts to his prayer that I want to share with you that I think all of us can use. It's simple, and it's easy, and so we're going to talk about this. Abraham's servant first began his prayer, and he started it by saying, God, you are great. I mean, you're a great God. You are incredible. And you are amazing. You're a truly great, big, huge God. And then Abraham's servant went on from there. And he said, okay, God, you're great. You're amazing. And you're incredible. Here is what I need. This is what I'm asking for. This is what is happening in my life today. Here's what I need. You're great, God. You're great. But here's what I need. And perhaps one of the greatest tragedies in life are prayers that go unanswered simply because we never ask. We never come into the presence of a great God and say, here's what I need. And Abraham's servant just wasn't afraid to do that. So he starts out his prayer and he says, God, you're great. You're incredible. You're amazing. And now I want to tell you what I need. And then he wrapped up his prayer And he said, guess what, God? You are still great. You are. You're still incredible. You're still amazing. You're a great, big, huge God. So you're great. Here's what I need. Oh, and by the way, you're still great. And you're still amazing. And this is how Abraham's servant prayed. And I think when we pray this way, when we tell God he's great, 
and then we tell them what we need, and then we come back around and say, you're still great, you're still amazing. I think God loves that, and he smiles all over that. But this is a huge challenge for us. It doesn't really seem to drive us that much. It doesn't seem to dominate our conversations with God if we even have them at all. And often, if you're like me, this prayer thing can be an afterthought. Like, we're just not very good at this. And why not? Why don't we act more like Abraham's servant and just come before God continually and say, you're great, here's what I need, and you're still great. I mean, it's kind of an easy thing, but a huge challenge for us and often an afterthought. Why don't we do this more often? Maybe it's because I don't know how. I don't know what to say or how to say it or when to say it. It's all kind of a weird thing, and so I won't do it at all. You know, what we're not good at, we tend to stop doing. You ever notice that? I am not good at cars. I mean, there's moving parts, and it's confusing to me. I've never understood it. My mind doesn't work that way, and so I don't do cars. I don't. I crash them, but I don't fix them. I don't do building things. Wood and moving saws, it's all kind of dangerous to me. I don't think that's a great idea. I'm not good at it. And so I just don't do that stuff. And I think sometimes we kind of adopt this attitude, this type of thinking when it comes to our prayer life that I really don't know how to do this. I don't know what to say, when to say it. It's all kind of weird. So I just won't do it at all. Maybe it's because I'm not good enough. Meaning that there's a lot of sin in my life, and if there's sin in my life, we come to the conclusion that God probably doesn't want to hear from us. I mean, maybe he wants to hear from other people who have it all together or who sin in less dramatic ways than me, but because I sin this way, certainly God does not want to hear from me. I'm not good enough. Or maybe it's because I doubt. Right? Like I tried the whole prayer thing. I poured my heart out to God. I had something significant that was going on in my life and I asked God for help. I actually told him what I needed and zero, just nothing at all. See, this is how we tend to respond to prayer. But I want you to listen to some other people in scripture and what happened to them. Here's what we see. Jacob prayed to God. And God inclined the heart of his irritated brother so that they met in peace and established a new friendship. Samson prayed to God and God gave him incredible superhuman type strength. Daniel prayed and God enabled him to influence the most powerful people in the world at that time. Nehemiah prayed and God allowed him to go back to his city and rebuild the walls. Esther prayed and God saved the Jews from destruction. The believers in Jerusalem prayed and God grew that church into a place that had huge impact. And let's not forget, Jesus prayed, right? I mean, certainly he would know. Jesus was actually so good at praying that people would come to him and say, teach us how to pray. Teach us what to say. Just talk to us about prayer. And if Jesus thought that he needed to take time to pray, I mean, he's God, And if he knew the value of this, what's our problem then? 
I want to be real honest with you and say that this area is a challenge for me. I wish I were better at praying. I wish I could stand before you and say, I've got this prayer thing all down. If you just do it like this, it's going to work. And here's what I've seen in my life. I think I've got seasons where I do okay. And then I've got seasons where it's not good at all. And so I kind of did a little evaluation of my own prayer life. And here are some of the things that I discovered. Sometimes when I pray, I give things to God, but I don't leave them with God. Does that make sense? Like I come and I give something to him, but then I kind of take it back and say, you know what, you're probably busy running the world and all of that. And I'm pretty smart. I can do some things too. So I'll just take this one and I'll do it on my own. I'll give it to God, kind of acknowledge it, but then I don't leave it there. I'll take it back. Sometimes when I pray, I have low expectations. Like I'll say this, I'll offer it up to God, but I don't know if he really can do this or if he's that interested. I tell you, I've really been challenged with this lately because God's given me a huge burden to ask for significant things for Valley Point Church, things that don't make sense and things that aren't a reality. Like if God doesn't come through, it's not going to happen. And sometimes I've been offering these things up and kind of have low expectations like, man, this would be great if it happened, God, but I don't know if you can do it this time. And so sometimes I pray and I just have these low expectations and maybe you feel the same way. Sometimes when I pray, I'd use it only as a spare tire. Like we're really good at this when we're distressed and when we're in trouble. When we're on the side of the road, then we open up the trunk and we take out the spare tire called prayer. And then we start really crying out to God, like, God, bail me out this time. I mean, help me out. I'm good at those distress calls. So what's the deal with all of this? I mean, if this is what Abraham's servant did, and some amazing things began to happen in his life, And he began to see some amazing answers to the prayers that he gave up to God. What about us? What about those of us who kind of struggle with this and it's a huge challenge and we want this unsmall life. We want a life of influence and impact, but this prayer thing is just really, really hard for us. I want to go back to our story and I want to share some prayer thoughts based on what the servant did that I think will give us an unsmall kind of life. So let's think about this. First of all, prayer gives me an unsmall kind of life because it helps me give attention to God. Back to Genesis 24, verse 9. The servant swore to follow Abraham's instructions. Then he loaded 10 of Abraham's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts from his master. And he traveled to distant Aram Naharim, There he went to the town where Abraham's brother Nahor had settled. He made the camels kneel beside a well just outside the town. It was evening, and the women were coming out to draw water. And here begins the first part of his prayer. O Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed. Now, do you see that word Lord? All caps. It's the name Jehovah. It's the proper name of the one true God. And then we have the word God used here, which means ruler. 
the true ruler of Abraham. So we've got Jehovah, the one true God, the ruler of Abraham. What's Abraham's servant doing here? He's really just acknowledging that God is great. You're incredible. You are amazing. You are the one true God out of all of the other gods, small g's. You are the big God, capital G. You are the one true God. You are Jehovah and you are the ruler over Abraham. And I'm going to start my whole prayer. Keep in mind, he's searching for a wife. So this is kind of a different thing. He's going to start this prayer though by saying, Jehovah, Jehovah, the one true God, you're big, you're incredible. And you're the ruler over Abraham. And with that humble statement, he's basically saying, not only do you rule over Abraham, but you rule over me. You're a great God. He's giving God recognition. And prayer gives me an unsmall kind of life because it gives me the opportunity to just give attention to God. Like I can tell God how incredible he is. And it helps me have influence and impact. Secondly, prayer gives me an unsmall kind of life because it gives me the chance to invite God to act. And not that God needs this invitation from us, but he loves our persistence. Verse 12 goes on to say, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See God, I'm standing here beside the spring and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says yes, have a drink, and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. So here's Abraham's servant. And he said, Jehovah, God, you're great. Now here's what I need. I need somebody who will give me a drink and give a drink to my camels as well. And that'll be the sign that this is the wife for my master's son. It's all kind of a little bizarre, but that's what he asked for. He wasn't afraid to come before God and say, here's what I need. And here's how I'd love for you to work this out. You know, it's a simple prayer where he was inviting God to show up. And he was inviting God to ask. And sometimes the power of prayer is simply the power to carry on. It helps us walk through the different circumstances in life. Think about this. When you pray, you're actually taking the burden off of your shoulders. And you're placing that onto the shoulders of the one who can actually do something about it. And sometimes I wonder how many God sightings we potentially miss out on because we don't ask. We don't say, here's what I need. And so God just lets us roll on our own. How many things do we miss out on because we're so busy doing stuff that we never bother to ask? How many God sightings do we potentially miss out on simply because we're not persistent enough to ask for what we need? The servant, he wasn't afraid to ask for stuff. He invited God to act. And here's thought number three. Prayer gives me an unsmall kind of life because it restores my confidence in God. So it gives me the opportunity to give attention to God. It gives me the opportunity to invite God to act and it kind of restores my confidence in God. 
Here's what happens with the rest of the story. Verse 15. Before he had finished praying, well, this is really fast. He saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. Rebecca was very beautiful and old enough to be married. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up again. Running over to her, the servant said, Please give me a little drink of water from your jug. Yes, my lord, she answered. Have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. When she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all his camels. And you know, the servant did a little happy dance right there. Like she's the one. And she's good looking too. So this is a good deal for my master's son. This is great. Verse 21, the servant watched her in silence, wondering whether or not the Lord had given him success in his mission. Then at last, when the camels had finished drinking, he took out a gold ring for her nose and two large gold bracelets for her wrists. See, jewelry still wins the day. There's no doubt Abraham's servant went to Jewelry Row in Philly. He got a great deal on a lot of gold here and said, let's put it on her. This is amazing. Verse 26. Here's the rest of the prayer. The man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. Praise the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. The God, there's those titles again, of my master Abraham, he said. The Lord has shown unfailing love and faithfulness to my master, for he has led me straight to my master's relatives. You want to have an unsmall kind of life? Confidently pray to a big God. Confidently pray. And just know that when we follow this pattern, God, you're great. And here's what I need. And you're still great. I mean, that's how he ended this whole thing. I think God loves that. And God will move in our lives and he'll answer according to what he wants and I think we'll be very content with that and we'll be blown away that we invited God to act and God showed up and it restores our confidence in him. You know, we have some really dear senior saints here at Valley Point. I love having conversations with them because often they'll come up and they'll talk about the things they used to do in the church and how they were very, very active and how they can't do some of that stuff anymore just because of their age, because of some of their physical limitations. But then they begin to talk about how they pray and how they pray for me and how they pray for Valley Point Church and for this place to just have huge impact. I love those conversations. I love them because I know I'm looking into the faces of people who kind of get that God can show up and these individuals even though they might not be able to do a lot of physical types of things, they're unsmall, having huge impact and influence simply because they confidently pray to a big God. So here's some takeaways for us. I want to share them in steps. Here's step number one. Begin. Start the conversation 
with God. And here's why. Because God has skills and guides people who are seeking him. So just begin. And if you kind of fall into that category, I don't know what to say or when to say it, just look at this. God, you're great. Here's what I need. And you're still great. You're still an amazing God. Just begin the conversation. And then here's step number two. Expect. Expect God to do something. See, prayer gives me an opportunity to take a step toward God. And whenever you take a step toward someone, you give them power to act, power to do, power to answer. And so just begin the process and then expect God to do something with what you give to him. Think about this. Abraham's servant prayed before he acted, praised when God answered his prayers. And then I think he lived believing that God controls all of the affairs of life. That's the unsmall life of Abraham's servant. So may you know that an everyday commitment to obey God gives us the opportunity for a not so small kind of life. And may you understand that God wants and he's looking for us to invite him to show up so that he can show himself strong. I want to end our time by praying. I don't think we can just talk about this. We actually have to do it. And so we're going to follow this pattern of saying, God, you're great. Here's what I need. And you're still great. And so I'd like to invite you just to pray with me now. Will you do that? God, we come to you and we're so thankful for a few moments to think about somebody in scripture who is somewhat nameless and he's given a big job to do. I think in the process of thinking through that, he had some doubts. He wasn't so sure about some things. I think he began to wonder, can God show up again? Will God act on behalf of my master again? Will he be kind again? God, I think we all walk through that. And sometimes when we walk through that, we just stop doing the very thing that you've invited us to do. God, this is such an amazing privilege that we get to come straight into the presence of God, the creator of the world, the one who knows all and sees all. We get to step right into your presence And we can do that with confidence. We can give things to you and talk to you and ask for help. God, it's a wonderful privilege that sometimes becomes an afterthought. So God, I pray today that you'd help every single one of us to walk out of here knowing that if we want to have influence and impact like Abraham's servant, then we need to confidently pray to a big God. And right where you're at. In your own words, why don't you just talk to God and tell him that he's great. Tell him that he's great. And maybe you've never even done anything like that before. Just use your words and offer them up and let God know that he is amazing and incredible.
then you probably have a need. Something that's happening in your life. Maybe it's a troubling thing. Maybe it's a confusing thing or maybe it's something really exciting and you're looking for clarity from God on maybe some next steps. Then in your own words, just talk to God and tell him what you need right now. What is it that you're thinking about? What is it that's weighing heavy on your heart? What are you excited about? Just talk to God right now. Tell him what you need. Ask for it. then just follow that up one more time by telling God no matter how the answer comes or when it comes that he's still great he loves to hear that from us just tell him he's still great I just want to pray for everybody in this room right now you'd help us to just ramp this area up in our lives. God, I pray that there would be more and more people connected to Valley Point and even beyond that are inviting you to show up and asking you for things that only you can do that are bigger than us. God, I pray that you'd use this time even today and our prayers going forward out of this room and throughout this week to restore our confidence in you. God, help us not to stay away from this area because it's confusing and seems a bit weird. Help us to jump right in. Help us to begin and start the conversation. And God, more and more and more for me, for everybody here, God, help us to expect more. Help us to expect you just to come into our lives and and to answer and to use us to influence and impact the world around us. God, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.